Hello, and welcome to Wayward Witch, a pagan podcast. My name is Miranda, and I'll be guiding you along this journey to explore non-denominational witchcraft for the modern practitioner every Tuesday. You can find us on your preferred podcast provider, or by following the links on Twitter at WayWitchCast, or on Facebook and Instagram at WayWitchPodcast. Feel free to reach out for questions, concerns, or even just to chit-chat, as I do love to hear from all of you. Let's walk this path together. One of the fundamental parts of ritual magic in neo-pagan traditions is casting a circle before your ritual begins. This act is done for a couple of reasons. Some may believe that it keeps the magical, magically enclosed space free from outside negative forces or influences, or any unwelcome guests, you can say. It could also be said that the circle is used to contain the energy and magic of the ritual within the barrier thus creating a concentrated power within a small space so that it can be used to the witch's desire. Casting circles could also be beneficial if you're working with darker entities that you wish to communicate and work with, but don't want the negative influences affecting you in any way. The circle would then provide you with the safety you'd need while also being able to do the work you were seeking to do. When choosing a place to cast your circle, you'll want to consider a few things. Firstly, you want to consider where you'll be performing your ritual or act that would require a circle. You want a space that is free from interruptions, quiet, and preferably legal. So please, don't go breaking into abandoned buildings or protected historical places without the permission to do so from your local government, because the last thing anyone needs is a criminal record. This could be a space in your room, yard, basement, public park, a friend's wooded property, etc., What matters is that it's quiet, free of interruptions, and permitted. Secondly, will there be enough room for all of your participants, even if it's just yourself? For a single person, you'll be wanting about 5 feet in diameter for your space so that you can move about comfortably without having to expend too much energy to fill the space once cast. For multiple people, like a coven or a gathering situation, take some time before the ritual to see how how much space would fit each body comfortably with the activity you'll be participating in, since some rituals can be done in tighter quarters, while others would require a decent amount of room. A little planning beforehand can save you one heck of a headache. What I like to do once my space is chosen and the size is determined is physically mark my circle. I know there's a lot of witches out there that like to frown upon this practice or use this time to gloat about how they don't need a physical marking because they're so attuned with energies that they can sense the circle with no issue at all and all that other stuff. But I'm telling you, as one witch to another, you're still valid if you mark your circle. Don't let gatekeeping and someone else's ego prevent you from experiencing the divine. What I use to mark my circle depends on the location of my ritual space. Stones, branches, leaves, and flowers are used if I have the privilege of working in the forest. Seashells, sea glass, and driftwood work great by the ocean. Snowballs make great markers in the wintertime if you live in a colder climate. And as for deserts, you can use stones or whatever other materials you have readily available in that area. In all of these places, simply drawing a circle in the earth works well also. If you want to go above and beyond, you can opt to make a kit using crystals or other items specifically for marking your circle that you could bring to your ritual. The possibilities are endless. 
Next, you'll want to cleanse your ritual space, not just your circle, but the whole space that contains it in order to purge the area of any energy that you wish to not have intruding your workings. As always, I want to suggest using means that are local to your area, significant to your faith or pantheon, and obviously not endangered or threatened. And as per usual, remember, don't use salt in the outdoors. We want to ensure we leave no trace behind, not out of shame, but out of respect for the earth around us. It's imperative that we care for the planet as we do, as we use her for our workings. So smudge away with your preferred herbs, resins, woods, and incense, cleanse with blessed waters, or simply meditate and emit energy that could cleanse the space around you. Take your time with this. There's no rush. You'll also want to do this with your tools, but if I'm being completely honest, I keep my tools within my circle before cleansing in order to do it all in one fell swoop. If your rituals or practices vary widely and you, the use of your tools are determined by whatever act you're doing, feel free to also use this time to bless each item accordingly before placing in your circle as needed. From here, we also want to place some items at each cardinal direction. I'm sure that some of you listening here have seen the craft and kind of used that as a launching point onto your path. So you've seen this in action, in a way. However, let's remember that that was a movie, and a pretty terrible representation of our faith. We don't need live animals used purely for our workings as tokens or bargaining bargaining chips for the divine. Instead, we can use things like bowls filled with items representing the cardinal directions, like water for the west, coals or incense for the south representing fire, sand or dirt for the north representing the earth, Gathered fallen feathers for the east representing air. You can also use colored candles, crystals, statues, whatever you deem fit as a representation of the elements in their directions. That's the beauty of paganism. It's completely personal and the rules are few. After placing these items, we want to bless them individually in respect to their element. Working from the north, we could light a candle or handle the item for that direction and chant, Guardians of the North, Element of Earth, I call upon thee to be present during this ritual. Please join me now and bless this circle. You would then work clockwise and bless each item or light each candle, changing the blessing for the direction and element. Just as a reminder, that would be east for air, south for fire, and west for water. After this step is finished, theistic pagans typically then petition their deities for protection over their circle, if you're a solitary practitioner, I would suggest writing your own prayer or reciting it candidly in the moment, rather than searching for a one-size-fits-all approach from the internet or literary sources, since it tends to be a little more effective if you take a personal approach with the divine rather than something that isn't from your own heart. If you're working in a group with varying belief structures, I would suggest coming together as a group to decide on which prayer would work best for you. You could also opt for a simple circle blessing, which I know many people opt for the wonderful words of Scott Cunningham here, as he's created an amazing circle blessing that goes as follows. I am within the circle, between the realms of life and death. This surrounding circle is the gateway between all worlds. All magic is wrought here. In this, my sacred space, hear these words, Lord and Lady, and watch over me in my work. So mote it be. Next, you'll want to walk around the circle three times to set the purpose of the circle. Our lovely sources, resources at WikiHow give us some insight here for a great way to do this. 
while walking, say, cast the circle thrice about to keep the evil spirits out upon each lap of the circle. Once done, stand back in the middle and say, I conjure thee, O circle of power, and thou best a meeting place of love and joy and truth, a shield against all wickedness and evil, a boundary between men and the realms of the mighty ones, a rampart and protection that will preserve and contain the power that we shall rise within thee. Once all of that is done, you're free to partake in your ritual. If at any moment you have to leave the circle, cut a doorway using your athame, wand, or even your hand, and reseal the circle after you leave, then repeating the process upon return. That way, there's no energy leaking out or inviting outward energies in. Once you're done with the ritual itself, call the energy back, thank the elements and deities for their aid in your workings, and close the circle. A great tool for clean, cleaning up residual energy, as stated in the Tools of the Trade episode, is the besom or broom. So happy casting, witchlings. Today's Mythology Minute comes from the resources at goddess-guide.com, where we will be covering the Egyptian goddess most noted for her association with our favorite predatory pets, Bastet or Bast. Her original depiction was with the head of a lion as a protection goddess of the lower river Nile, the pharaoh, and the sun god Ra. In this role, she became goddess of the rising sun and holder of the Utchat, the all-seeing eye of Horus. Later in time, she would be depicted as a woman with the head of a more domestic cat. Women of this time would buy amulets with her likeness on them, often illustrated with different numbers of kittens, to represent the number of children the wearer would wish to have, thus representing Bastet's influence as a fertility mother goddess, which was further reinforced by the Greeks associating her with the goddess Artemis. This kind of sharing of faiths would then also gain Bastet the association with the moon and children as well. She would also be known by several different names, including Bastet, Baubastis, Ubasti, and Pasht. The name Pasht is the root of our word passion, linking this goddess to physical pleasure. In the Book of the Dead, she is mentioned as destroying the bodies of the deceased with the royal flame if they failed the judgment hall of Mott. She is also the goddess of ointments and perfumes, which are also great offerings to her should you wish to invite her into your practice. She is both the daughter and consort to the sun god Ra, which is incredibly weird on one hand, but not surprising on the other when you understand the dynamics of family and marriage in Egyptian ancient culture, especially whenever it comes to royalty or deities. Her archetypes are both the lover and the fighter, making her both a fierce protective and oppressive force and a passionate goddess of pleasure. Bastet has such an interesting, rich history as a pillar of Egyptian worship, so definitely check her out if you're drawn to her in any way. As for ways you can worship her, feel free to check me out on Instagram for your Mythology Minute infographic. And that's it for today, folks. While not all of us may be of a faith that requires ritual circles, or even rituals at all, 
I do think it's important that anyone seeking that information does have it readily available. Though, I'm sure there doesn't need to be such a disclaimer, as all of you that I've had the pleasure of interacting with seems to be so supportive and kind in regards to different faiths and practices that may not be your own. You guys, gals, and NBs really do amaze me with your kindness and acceptance in a world where there's so much negativity. I'm forever proud of all of you. I also want to take this opportunity to shamelessly plug our Facebook group created by my sister Anna. If you go to the Wayward Witch Facebook page, you'll see a button for groups which will take you to the Witch's Broom. Feel free to join in on the shenanigans and resources we have avail available there. And as always, Witchlings, be kind, be brave, be unstoppable. I'll see you next time. Thank you.